0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms drinking coffee once again. Uh, I'm Rob Kennedy, and we're here with Nick of On Call Health. How's it going? Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks for waking up. <laughs>
1: <This> <laughs> so is, early. I've never been on a podcast before. I've listened to a lot of them, so this is an exciting time.
0: <laughs> uh, it all goes downhill from here. I'm sorry to say this. This is as good as it gets. Um, so why don't you tell everybody what On Call Health is about?
1: Sure, yeah. So On Call Health is... The simplest, most effective way for healthcare providers to see their own patients online when appropriate, Uh, essentially we incorporate a number of tools into a platform that allow healthcare providers to take their practice online and video conference on any device with their patients.
0: Cool, so as a healthcare provider, I can just use my phone or web or whatever and I can see my patients. Yeah, the
1: key is security. and and making sure that you have a, a you know a clinical appropriate environment for this kind of thing not skype or facetime um so we make it kind of a, a very clean professional branded environment for for this kind of uh video conferencing to
0: happen and you're, you're based in ontario yep do you operate in ontario only or uh we
1: operate all over the place okay. um and uh yeah pretty much everywhere in canada and the us is our focus right now right
0: so <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> almost everywhere. Yeah. So um, as a patient, how would I come across this service? Is it that the doctor would say, oh, by the way, thanks for coming in for your blood test. I'll give you a call on video, is that how? Yeah, works?
1: you got it. Basically, you know, we understand, everyone knows that healthcare appointments are time consuming. The reality is that up to 70% of them don't need to be conducted in person. So um, if you can put telehealth or telemedicine tools in the hands of every healthcare provider, you can do some pretty amazing things, but it should be something that healthcare providers can use when they decide to. So, um, you know, whether it's for a follow-up or for an initial consultation, Mm -hmm. before someone comes in in person, it should be something to enhance an existing relationship.
0: Uh, But is like, I mean, mean, you know, I I happen to have some experience in this space by coincidence coincidence in my career, but like, is it that the How would the patient come across this? Is the patient requesting it from the doctor? Or is the doctor saying, I don't want to see you this way, I'm going to see you via video?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so basically, if you have seen this provider in person and the provider decides they want to to video conference with you next week or something like that, rather than you coming in, you guys can come to that consensus together, and the provider creates the appointment in their account.
0: And then is it special software that you need to to actually execute the consultation?
1: Um, So right now it's all web-based. And the great thing about that is there's no plugins or software. It really is just kind of clicking a button, and you're taken into this video. Is it
0: WebRTC? Yes. Uh, Sorry, that's a nerdy question. (laughs) uh, And then is it, um, uh, so it works on a mobile device as well, even?
1: Yeah. Yeah, right through a mobile web browser. You
0: can get a, you go to the right URL and you can have a secure concept. Yep. That's pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, So how did you, how did you get onto this topic?
1: Um, And when? Yeah, so I worked at a number of startups in Toronto over the past few years and really developed an entrepreneurial itch. (laughs) Uh, Grew up in a medical family and just saw uh, a lot of American companies doing some pretty compelling things with telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw a need in Canada to start, um, and then just started speaking with a lot of doctors and realized, uh, in, in a number of verticals, not just primary care, mm-hmm. and realized that there is a real need for this. Um, there are uh, state-sponsored uh, telemedicine services, as, as you definitely know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's why
0: you used but... to spend a bunch of time <laughs> helping
1: those guys out, yeah. Um, but they, they don't really incorporate the uh, uh, kind of the ubiquitous devices that everyone right.
0: has. Right. Um, they and- came of age at a time that um, uh, they actually put into place the network in, in Ontario for high speed. They, they created the demand for high speed uh, installs into hospitals because it was like a landline, fat pipe, <laughs> big fat TVs, big, you know... Um, Basically, studios like, where you're studios. being filmed. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. it was complicated and expensive, and so you came in. And you're like, that's pretty big and clunky, and maybe.
1: Yeah, and and the technology is at a point now where, you know, you can have a reliable video chat with someone on any device without even having software through WebRTC. Right. Um, so. It's, it's something that just over the past few years has been possible.
0: But so, like, we'll get to com- competition in a second, but, you know, there's a few spaces that people like to avoid when it comes to startup y type things, and healthcare is one of them. While everyone knows that there's a huge opportunity in healthcare, uh, at the same time, it's like really risky. Heavily regulated. Ve- heavily yeah. regulated, super risky if you get something wrong. Why would you jump into that? <laughs>
1: Um, it's a space that I think there's going to be a lot of
0: innovation in over the next few years. So opportunity trumps risk in your mind? Yeah,
1: I I completely agree with that statement. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Um, And, you know, at least to start out, we uh, are avoiding a lot of the regulatory risk by um, beginning with healthcare providers that a lot of companies don't even focus on. Um, So we do not actually... Uh, work in the primary care or hospital space at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with a lot of uh, healthcare providers that you wouldn't normally expect to use telemedicine. Okay. Uh, so plastic surgeons, cosmetic dermatologists, mm-hmm. psychologists do use telepsychiatry, but we work a lot with them as well. But th- I mean, the, the key is the key thing to understand is that a lot of these people um, aren't under any sort of government regulation. Um, they they. So is
0: it like uh, a follow up for a plastic surgery? Thing. Yeah, is that an exactly. Example? Like, yeah, how's your so, nose doing? Is it bigger yeah. smaller, kind of thing?
1: Yeah, just as a customer service thing. I mean, um,
0: but there's still patient private I mean, you're still a patient. Absolutely. Still privacy, so we we fully comply
1: with all of the the privacy regulations there.
0: Yeah. Um, but the
1: sorry, I said that they're not regulated. That's not that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> the reality yeah. is that they uh, are not. Um, they're not compensated by the government for for their work, so it's it's like almost private healthcare. Right. Um. And and that that in itself is a lot easier for us to, uh, very clearly help these healthcare providers generate revenue for their practice mm-hmm. through virtual
0: consultations. So, like, did you did you just start this? Did you have the competence to start this yourself? Did you just like go to the internet, Google, <laughs> some things like secure video conferencing, and just like set it up, or how did you start it?
1: Um. Well, I'm more of a salesperson, uh, so I do not have the technical ability to to build anything, but uh, I, I worked with some some friends that uh, came from Top Hat, uh, an ed tech company here in Toronto, and uh, just basically spent every Tuesday for a year working out of the Sheridan Hotel lobby, <laughs> uh, <laughs> building co-working this- Co-working space. Yeah, yeah our, our <laughs> makeshift co-working space, uh, figuring out a way to build this kind of technology, and uh, we launched in the App Store in March and then kind of pivoted to pivoted to this um, web-based platform pretty shortly so, after
0: that. Just backing up a quick step. Sure. Did, are, they, are they co-founders or do you just bring them on to build the initial platform and then like said, good luck and thank you? Yeah, much? no,
1: so they're, they're co-founders um, and, and they're, they're currently full-time, um, but we kind of have this sort of loose setup where everyone works remotely and We'll eventually have jobs as well, except for me and the sales team. Mm-hmm. Um, we just are very frugal with our funding and
0: when you say we'll eventually have jobs, what do you mean like They're, they're like going to take full time
1: jobs right. yeah and kind of uh, yeah. sub in uh, when, when needed. Um, all yeah. of our developers have been on contract so far Got it um, so so that setup has worked, but once we scale eventually, I think uh, we'll need to hire up uh, you know at I- least people to handle the servers.
0: is it is it like? Do they have like day jobs or night jobs or something like that? and like are they
1: uh, Yeah, they work at other other startups, and uh,
0: how does that help like does that hurt your ability to move or um, I mean that, that answers my question, I guess like how are you funded? The answer is you're bootstrapping it
1: We're bootstra- we have some angel funding, okay. um, so more than enough funding uh, to to invest pretty heavily in our product okay. um, which has been which has been great to get you know, off of that whole fund, fundraising
0: mindset. Right. Is it like friends and family kind of thing? and that's Yeah, for do... now, for okay. now, yeah. Um, and, and so why, does that preclude the team from like being full-time? Does that matter to you? Does that slow things down?
1: Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that has been pretty effective so far, um, just from a cost perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people kind of uh, as equity partners and non-salaried, uh, but, you know, that ends up... Uh, so that ends up saving us enough money, and sure. we can. People are working hard enough that we can get the product built. But yeah. uh, like, like I said, eventually we're going to have to to hire up and and get get a full team, full time team.
0: And then, how do you how do you make that decision? How do you know when that time hits? Is it when you've got a certain number of customers? So we, we
1: actually or... launched this kind of virtual clinic uh, for any healthcare provider yesterday. Oh um, Wow, <laughs> timing. Uh, so. Yeah, perfect timing. Um, so I guess we'll see. We we have um, pilots with uh, I think about sixty or seventy different healthcare providers from different verticals, and you know who knows what's going to happen over the next month. We're going to learn a lot about uh, you know how how to support these this many providers.
0: So when you said you you built an app first and then you did the web thing, yeah. Why did you go that route? Um, I wanted to build
1: something and I didn't know, I guess, enough about what I wanted to do. We built this um, virtual walk-in clinic mm-hmm. that essentially allows you to, to hit a button and see, a, see a, a, a family doctor in Ontario on demand. Basically, our goal was to um, connect you with a family doctor from the privacy and comfort of your own home in under 15 minutes, anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, uh, because in Ontario, for some crazy reason, the government doesn't compensate doctors for any type of virtual or phone consultation, um, the uh, the reality is we, we had to charge people, uh, 25 bucks to see a doctor and very few very few people did that
0: it wasn't um, convenient enough for them to bother
1: yeah I think you know or their um, we we, was... ex- we expected it to be a huge hit um, you know it would just kind of hit the App Store and we we did a bunch of paid advertising and it just didn't convert as well as we thought um, so very quickly just started talking to more and more healthcare providers and realized there's a much larger opportunity to operate uh, outside of Ontario and in different verticals um, by providing this service to enhance existing patient provider relationships. So, like,
0: just unpacking that a little bit more. Sure. Because um, I think, you know, figuring out that problem and then realizing what to do next is, is tough. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you sat down, like, did you get a healthcare provider to like just sign on? You're like, dude, I'm going to send you so many customers. It's going to be amazing. And they're like, sign me up. Okay. Because I feel like, their problem, most most at least in Ontario, doctors' problems aren't. We need more patients. <laughs> well, how did you convince the?
1: So yeah, I mean, we don't have... even we don't even give them more patients. We just allow them to kind of handle their practice more efficiently. And, and that,
0: that time, no, the first time with oh, the, the app first version of that. Yeah, what, what, you, what um, was the sell so to them? so
1: what we found? That's a great question. What we found is um, that we we had about a dozen family doctors that I had convinced to do this, mm-hmm. and we had. You know, maybe, you know, a, f- a handful of calls a day that were coming in. Um, the way that we had set it up was essentially the Uber model, where you have doctors working at their own convenience; they can access the app whenever they want, and then on the patient side, patients can request calls whenever they want. Yes. Um, and then we just randomly match them with a, with an available provider. Um, what we realized very quickly, and uh, I think that a lot of research in the in the states where this kind of doctor-on-demand type concept is very popular, mm-hmm. is that on, on one hand, you have patients, um, or sorry, you have p- providers are um, relatively uncomfortable making a diagnosis or a serious prescription virtually
0: okay.
1: um, because, you know, you don't necessarily know the patient's medical history. You don't have an established relationship with them. Um, and, it it can it ends up only being used for really basic non urgent care,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and on the patient side, um, compared to their relationship with maybe a family doctor that they've had for their whole lives, uh, they're less comfortable receiving a diagnosis. Um, and then so so we realized that very like, that was like, the feedback we got. What yeah. is it
0: like? Uh, your nose is weird looking. I think you might have cirrhosis of the liver, and you're like, screw <laughs> you, doctor. Is that like? <laughs> Yeah, well,
1: I I mean, there's all sorts of different cases. I mean, some people will call in about about crazy things that, you know, the doctor then would also have to say, okay, you know, this is an emergency or this is not appropriate. You know, I have to now refund you for your call and and I've just wasted, you know, 10 minutes of my time talking to you. Um, So there, we didn't really have a triage aspect to it either, which um, I think is something that could could certainly be automated down the road for any of these virtual walk-in clinics, um, but just personally as well, I was in the Ryerson DMZ at the time, mm-hmm. um, and I was the I had just quit my job in March and I was alone mm-hmm. in the basement of the DMZ at a desk and uh, trying to get people to just download the app and trying to get doctors to be more active on it, and I was in over my head like I. Don't know anything about direct to consumer marketing. I've been doing SaaS sales for for three years. So I was, you know, dying to build a sales pipeline. Right. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's kind of out of that necessity realized, you know, we could we could definitely build something that doesn't have to just be in Ontario Mm -hmm. that we can sell to any healthcare provider in the world. Um, but you know, let's go out and talk to a bunch of people and learn. If we are to build, if we were to build something like this, how should we do it, and what are the features that you want? So, so we, you know, there are other telehealth platforms out there, um, but the way we've designed this, I believe, um, really has a, 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 an incredibly easy user
0: experience. Um, and is that, and, so that's what you think your competitive differentiator is? So, because so, I mean, so at there's this that. Point, the- so there's
1: that, and then there's also a few features that. Um, that kind of, um, that give, that, that focus on really the value prop of, of what, what providers are looking for. I mean, at the end of the day, they want to increase revenue and they want to enhance their patient experience. Um, so those are the two areas we focus on. The first one is lifetime value. Um, it's not, again, it's not just about like allowing a doctor when they have five minutes free time to jump on a video chat with some random person and uh, kind of um, just give them a quick diagnosis. It's more about if you are a cognitive behavioral therapist and you normally see a patient for eight to 10 sessions, we believe that if you add convenient virtual check-ins to relationship with your patient, um, you can see that patient like 12 to 14 times. and. At the same time, enhance that patient's experience and improve the outcomes that you have with them because now they're not driving, you know, an hour to see you, waiting for, you know, waiting between the next patient to see you as well. It's just it enhances the relationship and it increases the lifetime value, so the number of appointments that you'll see or touch points.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Finish your thought.
1: And then on the patient experience side, we believe that you know augmenting the you know, the in-person visits with virtual visits um, and, and creating this kind of uh, more uh, accessible feel to a provider um, can really uh, uh, help with patient retention. So um, if I'm, there's, a, you know, a flurry of these online services, and like I said, virtual walk-in clinics that are coming out, what, what happens is patients end up fragmenting their own long-term care by just going to a random healthcare provider because they're too lazy to explore preventative care opportunities or really build a long-term relationship with someone. Um, and uh, I think that that's a problem. You, know, you need to have a long-term relationship with whatever type of healthcare provider you're working with. Uh, and and so, so, that, so that's, on the patient retention side, that's a big factor. Um, if you can make things a lot more convenient, there's no reason for them to go somewhere else.
0: So, you know, I guess a few questions. One is like as the technology gets democratized, so it went from like you need a big fat pipe and it needs to be like hardwired into your building to like you can video conference over the phone to like WebRTC, which is just like a peer-to-peer standard. Yeah. Um like I like I could start a telemedicine thing too. Sure. So you know, how do you deal with the fact that like there are things like doctors, uh, the doctors on demand, and there's other kinds of services. And you know, like h- how do you deal with the fact that it's it's a hard space to get into, and at the same time, there's a lot of competition of people trying to do that in, in your space.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, great question. There's there's certainly a few other players in the area. Um, I'm taking it one step at a time. I think on at, in terms of Ontario and Canada. Um, at least for starters, there's a massive opportunity here. There's, uh, pretty much only one other company out of BC that does what we do mm-hmm. directly. Um, and, uh, again, the, the core focus of these companies is on primary care, just family doctors. Um, we again, see our, our kind of vision is tel- telehealth should be, uh, a tool that is in every healthcare provider's health toolkit. Um, so we work with everything from, like, dietitians to nurse practitioners, uh, like I said, cosmetic dermatologists, really kind of um, expanding on that idea of, of what telemedicine can do.
0: So, like, when you, going back to a point you made before about, like, sort of lifetime value of a customer, that's a very, like, startup-y, business sure. kind of way yeah. of approaching right? Like, I, I, I can't think of... Um, many doctors would be like, you know, my customer lifetime value is only X weight. Like, they just don't think that <laughs> It's way, not right? a
1: metric that they think about, no. but money, I mean, uh, you know, it kind of, that resonates with them. Revenue is something that resonates with them. Um, I mean, they, especially uh, the providers that we work with are typically in private practice, um, kind of small to mid-sized pr- private practices. Um, so they have a bottom line and they're, they're kind of managing their own revenue. And, and. It, it makes sense for them to to compete with other clinics. You know, if you can present something to them that um, allows them to help retain their patients and increase revenue, it's it's you know LTV is definitely not a term that a lot of them encountered, but you they know, I'm know surprised they it. they get the idea for yeah. sure.
0: So so I, I guess that brings me to the question I was going to ask before. I think you've answered it, which is in in Canada we've got sort of. Like, especially with the regular f- form of healthcare, it's sort of socialized, whereas in the States, right. there's HMOs and insurance companies and whatever. Um, is the way that you can homogenize it, you're going after the kinds of healthcare providers that charge the patient anyway, so the market is kind of the same whether it's Canada and the US, or is there differences between the market? Like, do you have to think about Canada differently than you would America? If you're doing primary care, you would absolutely have to do it differently. Sure.
1: And we can totally approach the primary care market in the US, okay. um, which is. I mean, 10 times bigger. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but sorry, just to clarify, you're, you're asking about...
0: My question is, like, you're like, well, we're in Canada, we're in the U.S. I'm like, those are very, and even different yeah. provinces, they're very, very different. Absolutely. And it does it smooth out? Because you're like, like, dude, we're not going after the primary care stuff or the emergent care or whatever. The people, in dermatologists are the same. They want to, like, you know, increase the lifetime value right. of the customer, whether they're in Canada, America, Guatemala. It's the same need. Yeah, so that's yeah. how you're... Solving that problem—that's
1: that's what we're thinking. Um, and then there's a, a kind of third piece, which um, is surprisingly been um, quite powerful, especially with the U.S. Uh, physicians, uh, and and that is um, that is kind of boosting social media presence. Um, so what <laughs> we have <laughs> Some yeah, marketing, uh, another yeah, another <laughs> kind of marketing tool. But we have a um, a sort of feature that uh, prompts. The end user, the patient, to to provide a review uh, and a rating after a consultation is complete, and it's actually pretty interesting because you uh, if you think about the relationship you have with any kind of healthcare provider, when are you ever prompted to to write an online review? Um, and actually, one of the best times is right after a convenient virtual interaction with them. Mm-hmm. Um, which hopefully will be a good experience, and so right after that's over, they they're prompted to put in this kind of star rating review, and we actually have the capability to to uh, anonymize that and and uh, post it to to sites like uh, RateMDs or RealSelf, Google, you know, wherever they're looking to boost their social media presence. And that's not something that is big in Canada yet, but in the U.S., it's hugely important to them. I see. Um, they they're really. Keen on getting more ratings and reviews on
0: on those sites, right? As a, a way to differentiate themselves, with yeah.
1: That. So we, you know, we can we can also customize that that call to action. You know, even if it's like a survey question, um, any kind of mental health stuff, we can't do the kind of uh, we can't uh, post any of those reviews online, of course, because it's it's something that's very sensitive. But can you post um,
0: like you know? Um, on the app store, you can do a star rating, and you can also sort of write a review. Could you just take the average of this, like if it's a star rating? You said,
1: yeah, like out Uber? of five stars, and like a, a written,
0: Uber, written piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So could you just not chop off the words and average? The yeah. Time? So
1: so you can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and like I said, you can also kind of customize the call to action. So maybe you know that month they they want to know um, any sort of question um, and and. Uh, Can
0: you game it? Like, do you like blue skies? Five stars. Yeah, yeah, I got a five
1: star. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for larger for larger organizations, like we have kind of an enterprise client that manages um, about three hundred different mental health professionals in Ontario, mm-hmm. and it's very important for them, you know, for for the uh, kind of the the uh, management level to understand the feedback they're getting. Uh, from different end users and and
0: so does that always make its way to the public or so it, absolutely it not, not no, no that just makes its way back to the team who's so managing the it.
1: actually the only place that we can do this kind of uh, the social media stuff right now it, as far as we know is uh, is the plastic surgery space um, and you again can, it's it fully it's fully opt-in. like it's right. it's with consent like sure. you, there's no way we're just like Seriously. taking whatever you wrote and putting yeah. it online for you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, So, so that's where we're starting with that. Um, But I mean, even just for an internal kind of analytics thing for our enterprise clients, being able to to collect that feedback and and understand the uh, the ratings is is something that they can't really
0: do right now in an efficient way. Can the doctor rate the patient like on an Uber? Uh, Not yet. Not yet. That's a good idea, maybe. (laughs) Fifty dollars. The other question is, can you um, like? It's. I feel like unlike an Uber or an Airbnb, like if you know the toilet overflows, you're like ah three stars, two stars, whatever. This is like doctor said I had cancer. Like, do you, do you get like?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting.
0: Do they give you bad reviews not because the the care was terrible, but the <laughs> diagnosis was bad? Like, does that kind of I don't know. Things?
1: I mean, it's a good question. We'll see. I like I said, we've launched yesterday.
0: Oh okay. So we don't. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was in that. <laughs> we don't part. know. Okay. We don't. I mean, we
1: don't know yet uh, how how people will react to it. Um, or you know whether what people will use that that form for, but I think that um, in theory, having some sort of ratings, call to action, or, or survey question at the end of a virtual interaction okay, yeah. is, is a is an interesting uh, data collection point.
0: So just taking a quick step back, um, you're saying that like you built this app, it didn't work so well because you didn't go after the right thing in the right way. Um, you not only changed. Who you were going after? It sounds like, but it also you also changed the technology platform.
1: Yeah, we Why? shifted from iOS uh, to entirely web based. Um, I I just think, you know, from a technology perspective, that uh, it's it's much easier to just uh, not require people to install anything and just have uh, things go right through a web browser.
0: Um, Is this something as in you said a self-professed non? Uh, non-developer, non-technologist—is <laughs> this something that your team recommended back to you, or you're like thinking about it and you're doing some um, and you're like, you know,
1: it's yeah, I don't know. It's something that more um, I realized I wanted to do. Um, it's uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough question of, of why we why we chose to 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 switch to that. Um, but I just think that uh, if you use uh, at least. For uh, kind of the MVP and getting version one out, um, you can uh, you can do a lot more by just being web based than than going on the iPhone Fair. Uh, or Android platforms.
0: So okay, so there's so many so many more questions, but we're running low on time. So like, you you switched your platform. You went after like, uh, how did you find that specific like the specific non-primary care thing? Like, was it just serendipity? You were talking to private practice and a dermatologist came up to you and you're like, you yeah, know, like I do you <laughs> find that as the way? Yeah
1: it's, yeah, it's again, it's it came from where can telemedicine, I mean the ultimate question is, we, we all know that telemedicine in theory is, is a great idea, right? Being able to remotely see your doctor online mm-hmm. makes things way more efficient mm-hmm. and increases the number of uh, uh, touch points that you can have with them in a year. Um, so, you know, we we wanted to to build something that that leverages telemedicine in the best way uh and and first of all that is something that is provider driven rather than being this marketplace where you're just seeing a, a random
0: healthcare provider online um but you got, how did you get to that how do we place? get to that like by, is it because you were talking to more customers yeah and sorry like,
1: and and by by again yeah talking to every type of thing but but understand every type of provider but understanding that um Telemedicine can can best be used in especially in fields where um, there's a lot of follow up and uh, physical contact may not be necessary in those follow ups. Dermatology is is one of them. Yes. Um. And and mental health uh, is certainly uh, certainly one of them. Um, in fact, uh, with cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, it can be proven. It, it has been proven that it can be as effective or even more effective to to have uh, remote care. Um, just because people can, again, see their see their provider from, from the privacy and comfort of their own home.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> so like, I guess the other thing is how do you, one other question and then I'll ask you what you're gonna do next, but like, from a privacy and security perspective, that is the number one thing that I think, I think, at least doctors care about it, I don't know if patients care so much about it, but it's like, don't push, publish my name on the internet, that even I'm getting my skin looked at because of the pimple that I had or something like that. Yeah. That's really, really important. How do you, how do you, th- how have you decided that, like, how have you thought about that and how have you made sure that, that is enough? Because it's never enough, right? You can always make things more secure or sure. figure out privacy.
1: Yeah. Um, that was something that, honestly, I, you know, I, I um, didn't know enough about. Um, I know that WebRTC technology encrypts the video by default, uh, which is absolutely essential to this to a telemedicine platform. Um, the uh, in terms of uh, making sure everything is secure, we have Canadian servers with Microsoft. Um, that's something that you need to do. You need to kind of store your data locally, mm-hmm. um, and then basically paid a ton of my funding towards lawyers to to just understand the the privacy space and make sure we were covering all our bases. Um, the privacy policy was a massive undertaking, but in itself is kind of a, a piece of intellectual property that differentiates our company because we've invested so much time and energy into, into ensuring that we are privacy compliant. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, uh, privacy laws are are I mean, while they do differ from state to state and province to province and country to country, um, the, the underlying or the kind of spirit of the law doesn't vary that much. Um, as long as you have locally stored data and encrypted video communications, um, that's, that's pretty much most of the legwork.
0: That and is. how do you like? Because like the one thing, sorry, one more question, mini question before I so, you know, having done this before, not only do you need the servers to live in the jurisdiction of choice, because it's just, I mean, mm-hmm. they don't need to, it makes your life a hell of a lot easier, yeah, uh, from a you know, legal perspective. Um, but a lot of the tools that exist as a as an entrepreneur, like Google Analytics or Mixpanel, these things are hosted SaaS platforms. Right. How do you how do you measure your users? How do you deal with all that stuff that just doesn't by design, care about the yeah, privacy of your users. Exactly,
1: and that's a really good point. We can't do any of that, um, which is why we need to build our own sort of data collection tools, like like the kind of survey or reviews tool that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, with with Microsoft, we get a few kind of uh, at least high level usage statistics that we can that we can send to our uh, kind of larger clients. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's definitely something I that I want to, to figure out. Um, the, big data, the big data question is um, you know, once we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of thousands of providers and we're taking in all of this data on you know, the reason for an appointment or something like that, there's certainly an opportunity there um, if we can anonymize that data and leverage it for um, any kind of purpose. But um, it's not something that we've explored yet. Uh, but certainly a, an interesting
0: idea. <laughs> right, so it's like build your own. Is yeah, way to do it
1: for sure. Yeah, and and you know that'll that will that will definitely be a challenge. There's definitely a lot of kind of mouth watering tools out there that just like yeah. uh, can give you all sorts of interesting information about your users. But um, I guess in this in this space, you have to to live without them.
0: So so you're you're you've just launched today, this new shiny platform, Yeah, Uh, and we're at, I guess, depending on when this episode airs or when you listen to it, we're in like late July of 2016. Um, What are you looking for uh, with the new platform? Like, how do you know things are going well, and how do you know things aren't going well? Like, how do you, what's your KPIs or whatever? So,
1: I I mean, I I want providers to use this to replace, um, you know, the the usage level will vary, um, but it should be something that they're using on a kind of weekly basis. Um, and definitely monthly basis because they're subscribing monthly.
0: Are, are they paying per consult or are they just subscribing? They're paying. For a flat yeah, fee? it's a flat fee per month. Flat fee per month. Okay, yeah. so again, a million consults and it's the same cost. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you're basically like um, retention engagement is your metric yep. here, which is like, are they using the damn thing? If they're not using the damn thing, right. then and it's
1: very clear, you know, like they're they're paying us ninety nine bucks a month, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean the like let's say the average psychologist charges between 150 and 250 an hour. So if they do one appointment a month, (laughs) the ROI is there. But I mean, I I think you need to to go a step further than that and show that this is something that um, is saving them time and improving the patient experience. How
0: how do you show them that?
1: So I think that, um, I think we need to show that this can reduce transition time. It can reduce no shows. Um, no shows are a huge problem for, oh, yeah? for healthcare, um, and uh, so basically, so, so
0: is it not it's like you're not losing revenue, kind of thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. You can jump between appointments faster um, because people have a phone on them at all times. They can jump on video with you wherever
0: you know, whether it's yeah.
1: in, in a you know in a room in their office or at their own home. Um, so the, the saving time and then increasing revenue through the whole lifetime value, increasing number of touch points you have with, with a patient and retaining them for a longer period of time.
0: Cool, so you report that back to them and that's how they, like is that how they see? Those
1: are, those are the metrics that we're focusing on right I now. Um, so so that's, that's where I think we'll be able to demonstrate oh, our
0: value. That's very cool. Cool, well, um, thanks for coming <laughs> on the show. We're out of time. <laughs> I Told you it would go fast. Right um, quick, yeah. So uh, on-call health, if you wanna check it out, where do you go?
1: Oncallhealth.ca. Um, that would be the first place to start.
0: Cool. And it, it, it's available for what markets if you're in? Uh,
1: worldwide. Worldwide.
0: <laughs> worldwide. So if you're anywhere in the world, check out oncallhealth.ca. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Rob. It. This is Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. Thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show. Thanks to TWG for sponsoring and hosting us. And we'll see you next week for a new episode. Thanks, everybody. Cheers.